Yeah, so the moral of the story is I don't know what causes this. It, it's like trying to track what my bowels are doing with what um, what I've eaten has been a losing proposition my entire life. So This is sexy. <laughs> I'm really glad I brought this up. <laughs> you have no one to blame for you. I have zero shame about 100%. my bowel movements, Gabe. <laughs> Critical support for bowel movements. <laughs> well, shall we begin? Yeah, okay. Yeah, are we recording? Start. We are recording. How much of that did you record? The whole thing. Oh my god. <laughs> so now Perfect. that could be the cold, the cold No, open. yeah, that could totally be our cold <laughs> open. Oh my god. Comrades, this is Critical Support, your source for conditional, heavily caveated, completely correct takes on basically everything. I'm Jacob. I'm Teresa. I'm Preston. And I'm Gabe. And right, uh, today we are going to start with a topic, I believe, from Preston. Uh, yes, we are going to start with a topic from me. But first, an announcement from our sponsor, Karl Marx House. Oh, All wow. right. Which is hosting us here in... Uh, Beautiful. No, we're we're gonna cut that part out. We don't wanna. We we are not gonna advertise the location of our uh, secret recording studio. Our bunker. <laughs> Should yeah. we just start this whole our, our, our newly? Over? No, we'll, we'll. I'll just cut it into something good. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is our newly constructed recording studio in uh, the Karl Marx house. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, we're really excited to be recording here with egg cartons everywhere. So and our blankets. first and blankets. Can't forget about the blankets. Uh, our first topic of the day, critical support for dirtbag socialism. Uh, <laughs> oh, so, boy. in the socialist movement today, uh, there are some who identify as, quote, dirtbag socialists. Uh, frequently, uh, they can also be characterized as anti-woke socialists who think that um, basically the development of identity politics has been corrosive to class struggle uh, more than it's been productive. Uh, and, you know, these are put forward by, uh, you know, uh, various media luminaries, uh, such as uh, members of Tropical Trap House and uh, other uh, Jacobin writers. Um, and so uh, I think it's important that we discuss the uh, importance or lack thereof of dirtbag socialism. So, yeah, so first of all, you need to clarify what you're talking about. Who, who are the figures you want us to discuss? Because there is the people who claim to be dirtbag socialists, there is the broader dirtbag left phenomenon there is this term as it is used as a uh derogative yeah oh man there that's a lot of different dimensions that i did not consider <laughs> um yeah well i mean we we need to have a conversation that's coherent in some way so true very true is this topic maybe a little a little risky just a little this is why I'm, well it's it's risky based upon how you want to define this term because uh, if you're going to say critical support for uh, the political positions of Amber Frost and uh, what uh, Anna, Anna Kachian. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Kachinova or something. It's she's 
Armenian, I want to say. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. I just um, remember reading an article about them and just kind of being yeah, repulsed. The, the, the one that was in, like, National Review or something? Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Maybe that one. The, maybe like, meet, meet, meet the Anti-Woke Left, or I think it was, it was called something like that. Yeah, they were both um, interviewed or something. Yeah, because if we want to talk about, like, critical sport for them, we can have that conversation, I think, pretty safely. Uh, I'm not sure. About the broad movement. If you want to talk about, like, the dirtbag left, you're going to have to define it a little better. Not just because a lot of people who fall under that very broad categorization of like leftists and socialists that are in some ways critical of identity politics. Like that's that's a that's incredibly broad. broad group of people. Right. Then I will withdraw my topic. <laughs> uh, and consider another one for the future. But until then, Gabe, you're oh. up. Wow, look at that. All right. I guess I'm going first after all. So my topic is critical support for... Posadism. Oh no. Wow. Oh god. So normally I think it's we should stay away from reviewing specific left tendencies, but I think posadism is just small enough and just humorous enough. <laughs> <laughs> and it is part of the Trotskyist tradition. And it is part of the Trotsky that that we, we get to we get to talk about this. It's okay if we <laughs> Happened to poke wow. out of it. Okay. Right. So for for those of our uh, you know for those uh, dear listeners who are not familiar with this, the best way I can describe it is the plot of Star Trek: First Contact <laughs> is literally postmodernism. But if you haven't seen that and you're still like, well, what the fuck is this? It was basically this movement, this this Marxist set of theories started by. Uh, Trotskyist J. Posadas, which I think was, was a, that a de, I think it was a nom de guerre, right? But, I, but it just became the name that everyone went with. And for this I, guy. I think at, at one time it, it had a somewhat. I mean, there was like a legitimate following around it, and there might still be in some countries. But basically, the the idea is that the only like the way to achieve socialism and communism is through aliens, because any an alien species that is complex enough and advanced enough to have traveled to earth has to be communist they have to be because that's the only way that they could have reached the productive capacity uh to have space travel and therefore the only way that we can achieve communism is through a global nuclear war you know wiping out capitalism as we know it by destroying everything and then creating the opening to contact these aliens who will come down to save us and introduce us to uh to communism and lead the way forward. And I, I'm sure I'm not exactly right on the details. Perhaps Jacob is going to correct me there. Well, I, I, I do. I, I think that there's 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 a couple of interesting parallels to draw here. For one thing, uh, this guy, Posadas, have we determined his name? Yeah, it's uh, Jay Posadas, but it was what? actually Homero Romulo Cri Cristali Frasmelli. He was a major Ooh. figure in the Trotskyist movement in which country? Argentina. Argentina. Okay, yeah. So he was he was he was a legitimate leader in a major uh, party of the Fourth International in Argentina. And I just want to point out that the idea that we that uh, a nuclear war would um, wipe out capitalism and sort of jumpstart uh, communism is not actually that different from Trotsky's own theory that World War II was going to do that. Um, he 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 thought that World War II was going to wipe out capitalism as well as the Stalinist bureaucracy and was going to sort of pave the way in kind of in the same way that World War One did, where it, it it weakened the establishment powers so much that revolutions were possible in all these areas. So it wasn't like it wasn't a crazy idea. It just turned out to be really really wrong. The 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 concept behind Posadas's idea, the precedent for Posadas's ideas in the writings of Trotsky 
turned out to be one of the things that Trotsky was the most wrong about. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. And this is where Teresa silences her phone like we asked. I put the ringer on silent. <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't know what happened. Okay, so yeah. Um, I would say in general, Posadism is a ridiculous internet meme. But, I mean, historically, it did do real damage to the communist movement. The sort of weirder things that Posadists uh, thought and advocated for played a role in alienating the Fourth International from the revolutionary government in Cuba, uh, where they were initially very friendly. So yeah, it, it, it's not it's not just funny. It has, like, when, when you think crazy things, even if they are sort of more theoretical, uh, it can cause problems. Right. I think one theory I've heard about why Posadists were so... Um, Persecuted was, you know, Posadism was mostly Latin America, uh, you know, around Posads and, and, you know, his followers and those groupings there. Uh, and basically the theory is that they all got tortured a ton uh, for being revolutionary leftists, um, you know, uh, and then that's sort of in that their tortured state and they had this sort of group hallucination of like, or, or at least very eccentric view of and honestly pessimistic view mm -hmm. on you know how communism could be developed and so yeah i think we need to you know i think from the context of their material conditions where, where they were working it kind of makes sense that something this wild could emerge like oh also the, you forgot the best part where like dolphins were going to evolve and like we right. could talk oh, with dolphins right mm -hmm. um Partially because we nuked everything, right? I, I don't know if there was like a, you know, anamorphs kind of dolphins right. to humans thing they were anticipating. Wait, were the dolphins going to get irradiated and become superheroes? Well, uh, see, that I'm not sure. I, <laughs> I kind of hope that's what it is, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure they thought it was going to be just, you know, they would evolve just like animals evolve because that's what they do. Right. which is kind of not a great interpretation of natural selection either. And uh, But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think if you look at it in the material context they were operating in, it kind of makes sense why that happened. Uh, but, yeah, doing damage to the international movement is much worse than being understandable. Right, so even if it made sense, it made more sense at the time than it would seem like it does now. Uh, I don't really see much of a reason to offer critical support. Do you have another argument, Gabe, or? No, I, I think <laughs> I think that's really great points in that like, I, if what you're promoting is too insane, if there's only like a few people promoting it, then it's funny. But if it's like an actual movement that's having actual influence, then it's then it's like a problem, you know? Like if one mm -hmm. person believes in aliens, that's, that's an eccentric curiosity, right? But if like thousands of people are going around talking about aliens and they actually are trying to play a role in stuff that's going on that's dangerous you know and it's like it's like um you know the the evangelicals who who support israel because they think that a strong israeli state will bring about uh, the apocalypse right right it's like right. stuff like that yeah yeah it's like if one person was talking about that it'd be like well, that's weird but when it's like when American it's like, foreign policy. Yeah. Like Mike Pompeo is making decisions based on this. That's fucking insane. That's right. crazy, right? Like the the woman on Fox News who was like super concerned about some sort of like Russian activity in Syria until she was like, but wait, and then I was reading Revelation and I was like, this is like the Northern Kingdom coming into Israel. And it was just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Oh, man. This is the most insane, like, people who take Revelation seriously are wild.
yeah. Or even metaphorically or, you know, like... Yeah, I've, the, the, the best exegesis I've heard of Revelation is that it's basically all political commentary on what was going on, like, right then. Interesting. And that it wasn't even in, it wasn't even written to be like prophetic, right? It was just written as like a big old allegory. Yeah, yeah. It, they're they're writing about the, the politics of the like late antiquity, um, mm-hmm. and the the way the Roman Empire was oppressing early Christianity. Right before they did the heel turn and were like, "All right, we're we're yeah, kind of okay with yeah." This before now. it got absorbed for very complicated reasons um, that I don't feel like I fully understand. I right. think I think the only good thing about posadism is that it uh, brought about Star Trek First Contact, which did it actually? Opinion, I is don't there a know, but I maintain that the writers of that movie had to have known about posadism. <laughs> I mean, this, the parallels are so striking. Like the whole plot, basically, this movie it revolves around this time travel plot. Which it's with the whales, back... right? No, 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 this is a different one. Oh, okay. It takes them back to the origin of like the Federation of like human spaceflight, where basically, really quickly, what happens is that like the Borg go back in time to try to kill this guy who invents the first um, warp drive ship, and so Captain Picard and the Enterprise they like follow them back through this time wormhole to try to stop them from killing this guy. Okay, so but basically the plot is that like in the twenty. 20- Middle of the 21st century, after a giant nuclear war, human civilization as we know it is destroyed, is decayed, and so there's basically just like small bands of, of people living in various states around the world. So literally and, the Posada's premise. Yeah, and so there's this like scientist who, who had, they had a settlement next to a, a former missile silo, and he was working on turning the missile silo into, a, like turning the missile into like a warp drive spaceship and at the time there was like the the vulcans who were the like other aliens they wouldn't make contact with a civilization that wasn't warp capable so in the vulcans right and And so the vulcans had like equality i mean they're basically a communist society and the federation is basically a communist society and so out of the nuclear holocaust they developed this technology that allows them to make contact with aliens (laughs) who then come down to earth and Give them the like communist utopia that becomes the Federation. Post scarcity, here's the replicator. Yes, yes. Run wild. It's like it's insane. It's, I, it's literally when po- I, like post-sadism. when I read about posadism on like leftist meme pages, I was like, Yeah, <laughs> I've seen this movie. <laughs> okay, so do, do we really uh, want? To, sorry, go ahead. I have not contributed yet, and no, I'm ahead. ready. Just to do some research over there <laughs> um, on her phone, so I'm ready to do this. So don't try to preempt us to the vote um yeah i just want to sort of be the devil's advocate a little bit here and um i think what we've been focusing mostly on is like the really outrageous um easy to make fun of stuff and in reality um yeah that he did draw these pretty crazy uh ridiculous conclusions um but there was also he was a legitimate trotskyist and he did not only like spread Trotskyism uh, in Latin America, but he was actually kind of insightful in some ways using Marxism and Trotskyism to analyze Argentina. For example, mm. he, um, according to um, this website, uh, <laughs> according to the internet, p.osads.com. <laughs> well, no, I mean, he did uh, basically, he uh, used the Trotsky's theory of permanent revolution and was able to detect early on uh, revolutionary nationalism in Peronism. Ooh, so um, that, that is important. 
Yeah. So I think that there's probably, and you know, and he started a, for, a for, Trotskyist Fourth International in Latin America. The Posadists in um, Cuba ultimately had, uh, you know, did really problematic stuff, but they did help with the revolutionary struggle. And that's why they were initially greeted with friendliness by Castro and Che. Mm. Then they ended up being kind of wreckers. But to be honest, like how many Trotskyist sects have done kind of similar shit? Like, on balance, I'm not really sure. They're maybe in the less laudatory category, but I mean, I don't know. You have the Sparts here. It's arguable to me, uh, which I would consider more <laughs> problematic. Here's another question too: Is is was the the Cuban break with with Trotskyists was that more because of stuff that the Trotskyists there did, or was it just because of their alignment with the Soviet Union? Uh, I think, I mean, specifically the sp- the Posadists did some stupid shit. Like, they thought that oh. they should immediately ex- expel all the um, American military, do things that were, like, provoking uh, a nuclear battle in, oh. in some way. And that's why they... So and, they- and that generalized to Trotskyists in Cuba, I guess, because that was such a prominent tendency. Right, whereas the sort of the <clears throat> Castro and his people wanted to, you know, survive. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So I guess is is the argument you're making, Tressa, that um, the crazy aspects of Basadism that we make memes about are a relatively um, small part of what Basadis and his people did. Yeah. Like if if we're gonna critique him, we should critique or, or Posadism, we should critique it on the actual effects that it had politically in various places, which I don't think any of us are in a position to balance the positive positives and the negatives. But it's like we're not, like Gabe didn't propose critical support for Jay Posadas. He proposed critical support for Posadism. That's and what so, I'm saying. Though. So Posadism as it is now. Yeah, as, as, we, as it is a thing, to the extent that it is a thing now, aside from like probably some like small groups of older people in Latin America, is the crazy stuff. Like there's not a consolidated Posadist political position that isn't about dolphins and nukes and whatever. I don't and know. I don't know. There, it, my impression is that it's still the dominant tendency in Latin American Trotskyism. That's hmm. terrifying. I, yeah. Or is that like leftover groups? And I, I don't know enough about what they are doing politically, and it might be totally crazy and ill-advised and whatnot. But yeah, it, it's still an extant formation in Latin America in a way that it isn't in like the United States and it's mainly just memes in the United States. So what you're suggesting is critical support for actually existing Trotsky. So <laughs> <laughs> actually existing Latin American Trotskyists. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Even oh, wow. if they're wrong. I mean Well aren't we all wrong? <laughs> not no, us. Not not on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. What wow. part of completely correct did you not understand? <laughs> Met in a broader sense about something. We're always wrong about something. I feel mm. like I'm out well, of Well now 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 all of our listeners are just leaving in droves. <laughs> right. Because they have no reason to listen anymore if we're wrong. <laughs> if we if we don't even have confidence in our ideas, how do we expect to communicate those ideas to the working class? <laughs> yes. God damn it. Wow. 
Okay, I, 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 I retract my statement. We are never wrong about anything. <laughs> yes, no, never, dear listener. <laughs> and if we, if we have a split opinion on something, it's only because we haven't debated it long enough. Yes, exactly. That's usually the case. With sufficient debate, we will have a resolution. Or we will find a cool person to decide. Yeah, we, um, yeah, the, the, the need for a tie-breaking vote well, we'll have to see if a tie emerges during this episode, but it may become sort of dire, that need. <laughs> um, anyways, are there other arguments we want to make? I honestly am not sure what I think, but I feel like we've talked. And probably none of us really know that much about this. So it's, <laughs> yeah, I don't think, true. yeah, especially the actually existing, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's either like, memes or Star Trek First Contact or what Teresa just yeah. said. So it's like, I mean, and I, Cuba. I feel like I have a completely passing and uh, anecdotal knowledge of the weird parts of Posadism, and I don't know nearly enough about what Posadists did in Argentina or what Posadists did in Cuba to actually make a judgment about that at all. So I don't, yeah, I mean, my I kind of want to say no critical support for Posadism in the way that Posadism is use like it's funny but it's not a serious political thing so i don't think we should support it but also there's a lot of aspects of this that i don't feel like i have enough information on i feel the same way now i was pretty in the no camp from the beginning until teresa enlightened us on some some more details yeah i we can say like no pending further evidence (laughs) how about Hmm. we say um we vote on Posadism as uh, as it exists in internet memes and kind of in the left in the U.S. And then say Posadism as a historical or actually existing Posadism in Latin America. Could we just say we don't have enough information for that right, second vote, yeah. though? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so, so we're not going to vote on that. That's right. off the table. So well, I feel like as memes, I mean, I, I support it because I think it's funny. Oh, well, now we're going to have a vote. <laughs> <laughs> we're about to vote, motherfucker. Because <laughs> if we're trying to separate it from the real world, then it's then it's like, well, then it's just funny. But if if we're trying to, if, we, if it actually is part of the real world, then I guess I don't know how, ah. to, how to say about it. But if we're just like, is it okay to make posted as memes... Yeah, sure, that's fine, whatever. I don't know. I mean, I think that accelerationism is a serious thing, though. And I, I, I don't think that it's, it's... It's funny because we know it's a complete joke, but to people who don't necessarily know that, it's like, I don't think that it's completely... I think it has the potential to cause problems. That it, it, it is a bad enough political position to take. That, that level of accelerationism is dangerous enough as it is. That it's like, I mean, sure, it's funny when you know in advance that it's a joke, but like the fact that there are people, there are serious revolutionary leaders who thought this is kind of terrifying. And and it implies there could be a serious revolutionary movement that thought that again. And that's a problem, and I don't think we should support that. Hmm. But isn't, I mean, the whole thing of a, now it's almost like critical support for memes, but I'm okay, because like no, in the context, I, no, but like in the context of Posad, where, where it's like, you know, is a meme inherently affirming or denuding to the concept of posadism? Right? I, I just I don't think we can separate it out. Is what I'm trying to say. I don't think we can say critical support for American perception of posadism <laughs> like that. That's too limiting, and it's not really 
we're not really saying critical support for anything. I mean, at that point, it is just critical support for memes. Is yeah, what you're saying. right. Exactly. Yeah. Critical, uh, critical but, but, support like for a genre of joke. Yes, and you got <laughs> you, you got critical support for humor. <laughs> yeah, right. You, like you, you started talking about memes and then got into the idea of like, oh, how these ideas can be a real danger, and then you're going beyond what it is currently and into the potential for it and into the right. past. So it's like I think we're even when we're trying to think about it as just this limited thing of memes, it actually we start our brains just are automatically trying to branch out and see how it connects into yeah. the real world. The whole power of a meme is referentialness, right? Yeah, but it's like you can still say we are ultimately talking about the this type of meme in you know, online left culture, and then you can talk about its reference and where it came from, and it's like you're, but you're still, we're ultimately talking about that meme versus talking about Basadism as a political movement with the memes as part of that. I think it is coherent to, to do the former and say like we, oh, man, you, I mean, there are things that it is a that we don't. I I, I would not support joking about. Like that's not. It's mm-hmm. it is serious enough and a big enough problem that it's not funny. And it's like I'm not sure Basadism is really in that category. I'm not sure that that's. But it's like, I, I, I think that it, if I'm at my most politically serious, yeah, I don't support it. Hmm, interesting. Do we have to vote on if we're going to vote in that way? <laughs> um, I mean, we could just say vote however you want. Vote, vote, vote however it makes sense to you to interpret this. Taken that we are talking about the memes and not Posadis and his broader political philosophy and history, which we are not familiar enough with. Even okay. though Gabe's so, position is the memes yes. have to refer to that on some yeah. level. Well, if you want to insist that it's just memes, then and and you think that we should have critical support for it because it's just a joke, uh, then yeah, you're free to vote that way. Okay. okay. So justify your vote with full context. Yeah. Similar to dogs. Right, yes. Yes. Interpret as you will. Right. Which is an episode that probably won't come out until after this one anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, it's for the real heads. Dear listener, you will learn yeah. soon. You will learn about our uh, our epic dog debate. So. <laughs> dog bait. Well, Jacob, <laughs> Jacob, give the no. Yeah, yeah. Teresa? Yeah, I would also vote no on the basis of, okay, so we're voting on Posadas memes. And I would say that I would vote no on the basis that they, well, they... While being funny sometimes, they kind of distort what is actually a historically important movement and that make it, yeah, they just distort it. And I think that uh, it would actually be beneficial to us to actually study that that movement because it was historically very significant in a large and important region of the world. Uh, I will also vote no. Uh, I think Teresa's argument is very good, as was Jacob's, and so they have persuaded me. To know. No. Nothing else to add. With a no. Very well. Okay. We have decided. No critical support for Posadist memes. Yep. Uh, adjust your... Uh... Meme game accordingly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Please remove all... <coughs> remove, remove all nuclear weapons and dolphins from your vaporwave now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Does that, uh, does that come to me then? Yes, it is now your turn. I I do have a topic. Um, Critical support for uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ooh! (laughs) All right, lay it out. Yeah, so I want... This is another one that I'm honestly unsure about. Okay. Um, The Marvel Cinematic Universe is a giant corporate monstrosity in a number of ways. Um, It has sort of distorted 
and uh, consolidated a lot of sci-fi superhero culture in a way that it, it comes out with a sort of perfectly curated corporatized version of it in a way that people who are more into comic books than I am object to. Um, I don't really have an objection on those grounds. I just know that it's it's obviously it's it's a giant money making machine for a for I think what Disney at this point Disney Disney for, owns for, the whole damn thing yeah for Disney, but it's like I mean it's like we talked about last time everything is capitalist everything is bourgeois whatever, uh, you 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 can't escape that, and I kind of feel like politically they're they're not that bad, hmm. and so it's like even so just taking for a moment them as movies. Some of the movies are terrible. Some of them are great, in my view. Like it just, right. just, just as really solid light action films. You know, some of the Iron Man movies, some of the Avenger movies, um, the most recent Thor movie are like really quality superhero films. Yeah, the recent um, Thor movie is just fucking hilarious. They're, yeah, they're they're really fun to watch. Like I I have not I don't think I've ever paid to see one in the theater, but I always watch them when they come out, uh, whatever online streaming. So. Yeah, but I mean, some of them are obviously terrible. So that there, there is a range of like cinematic quality here, but politically, I there's a lot of criticisms that amount to it promotes sort of the military-industrial complex with you know Tony Stark being this billionaire uh, weapons contractor, and that's definitely present. But there's also I would say a soft criticism of that in in those movies it's, it's not a sufficient criticism it's not like a full developed he becomes an anti-war activist and donates all his money to social movements or something right but a um, big part of iron man is he shuts down all the military contracts exactly and so it's 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 not it's not as simple as i think people want to make it like i've heard criticisms of the of captain marvel that it like glorifies the u.s air force and i'm not sure what movie those people those people who made that criticism watched, but I watched it the other day and like, it wasn't that great of a movie, but that's not the impression I got from it at all. Like you couldn't watch that movie and think the, so, the, the army are the good guys here. Like yeah, it's not like American sniper. with Yeah. Tights. It's, it, it's absolutely not like putting them in the same category as American sniper or top gun or blackout down these open, like this is U S military propaganda. The point of this is recruitment to the army you can't put it in that category. And I think especially what, what struck me as very interesting about the the final sort of plot arc that uh, the Avengers series settled on. Hashtag spoilers. Yeah, well, I mean, Thanos' goal is to destroy half the population of the universe. It's ultimately, it's ultimately an eco-fascist goal of like, there is people are suffering because of resource depletion. We just need to kill all the people and then the remaining people will be better and like he doesn't racialize it in the way that actual eco-fascists do and and their response to that is obviously just stop him they don't really have any sort of a coherent or developed political like this is our actual alternative as to why people are suffering and how we solve that but it's still like they're 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 what they're proposing is no we should that that is wrong and we should fight it and we should fight it in a collective way it's not this pure individualist like the one superman figure comes and saves a day it's all of these it's sort of diverse group of people that have to work together in order to um, in order to stop this from happening or fail or try to I don't even know and, um, and no one's like profiting off of it like there's not yeah. the typical like war profiteering that happens like they're like all right we're just some people yeah and like Tony's got a fuck ton of money but he's just throwing he's whatever right? yeah you just gonna and, do that and they don't win because of money um, yeah they don't win because of money and they don't win in the way that like 
in the Batman films, he always wins by basically he just wins a fist fight at the end of the movie, and therefore he <laughs> wins before he beats the villain, which I always hated. Like I, I fucking love Dark Knight, but then he gets to the very end, and oh cool, he won because he had a nifty gadget, and it's like he he defeated the like like the Joker presents like an existential threat to like the psyche of Gotham City, and like what his sort of way out of this. Is like I'm a, gonna I'm gonna shoot him in the face with a fancy razor blade. Like it's 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 just it's completely uncompetitive. It's like <laughs> Heath Ledger fucking won that fight, and Batman got him because it's just he for was some. Lucky. Yeah, because he got lucky. Like like the protagonists are just gonna get lucky, and that doesn't really happen in Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that I can think of. So yeah, I I obviously I'm split. What do you all think? Well, okay, as as a as a as someone who who works in film. I kind of, I, I often wrestle with, with this myself of like, I hate so much of the cheap pulp that gets produced, or not cheap, the over, over budgeted <laughs> pulp, frankly, the, the like, you know, just the insane garbage that comes out of movies when there's so many like great stories that could be told that aren't getting any money or any studio time. But, but I also just think about the fact that like, I think a lot of a lot of leftists or, or intellectuals or like they, they think that we need to make everything that's produced in the media needs to be like really smart and have this like really intense political message and needs to be at a really high academic level. And I think it should be more like that. But that's not why people watch movies for the most part. Like I, I've had to accept this, that the fact that I think most people, they go see a movie because they want to relax because they want to have a good time because they want to be entertained. And so, you know, I think it'd be great if movies toned down the nationalism and do all this other stuff. But, you know, I don't think we can expect even in, in some, you know, future socialist society, like if we try to make all of our movies really like smart in, in after a few years, they're going to be like, no one really goes and sees these movies. <laughs> time to just make silly action movies again. I think Marvel, like, like you said, it's sort of this soft endorsement of the military-industrial complex, but also a soft critique of it. And I just think that's sort of the world that we live in. And if we lived in a socialist society, they would just do the, the soft, dumbed-down version of whatever whatever was the common ideas at the time. And I, I, ju I just think that Marvel movies are fine, you know? <laughs> like, they can be bad, they can be good. Like, I don't think they play an outsized role. Like, they're not... It's not like Top Gun type of stuff, right? Where it's, like, really heavy on the pro-America, pro-military, nationalist insanity. They don't play some outsized role in that. So... You know, as far as I'm concerned, they're just like fun action adventure movies. If you like them, you like them. If you don't, you don't. Doesn't matter. That's great. You know, and and movies are never going to be some kind of like high intellectual form of art. You know, there's always there's going to be intellectual movies, but most people just want to have a good time, and that's all it's ever going to be. That's my opinion. I had a thought, but I uh, I have to remember it now. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of said a lot there and talked in circles, so okay. it's fine. I'll just edit out half of it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I agree. Like, I fairly objectively, the Marvel movies, for what they are, like, this isn't, like, some sad French drama that is, like, <laughs> in the rain and there's soft piano music happening and <laughs> people are smoking cigarettes and depressed as sort of a rule. No, I mean, it's it's is not that, high is that Is that socialist? That's art, art film. That's, you know, that's, that's art like film. French okay. art cinema. Oh, okay. that, that has, like, some kind of important intellectual message that that's supposed to 
have some deep inquiry into the human spirit or society or something. Okay. You know. But yeah, but like as like technical marvels, like I mean, that, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> whoops. <laughs> um, but like yeah, as technical objects that we've produced as a society, they are incredible, right? Like I think Thor Ragnarok really sticks out to me because like it looks incredible. The action is great. The story is still fairly relatable. Apparently, like ninety percent of the script was improvised. Um, yeah, Taika Waititi likes to operate that way. He's huh. very, very fast and loose. He was basically like, I'm going to make a movie I would make, and Marvel, it's your job to fit it into your universe. Right, that um, makes sense, actually. There's right. a lot of that movie. Yeah, it's very much a Taika Waititi movie. That movie has kind of a workers' revolution happen in it, too, by the way. Well, in the sense that Korg is like, the revolution has begun! <laughs> and he gets a gun, and that's sort of it. Like, it's, well, it's not it's, politicized. It's, it's the slaves rising up against this... Uh, oppressive system. It's a slave rebellion against Jeff Goldblum. You know, it's <laughs> which we should uh, uncritically support. <laughs> right, uncritical support. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, like as just like technical and you know artistic things that we've produced as a society that look really cool and have cool stories and are produced, you know, within they're great. Like I think you know you have a fun time watching them. They look really good. The stories, yeah, obviously there's going to be a range. Like, there's going to be a range with anything in any medium, you know. Um, but generally, they're good. Uh, you know, I had a great time watching Avengers Endgame, you know. And so, yeah, I, I think just from that perspective of, like, are these, for what they are, decent? Yeah. And, yeah, I think I agree with the criticisms of, like, well, there's also been the criticism, like, well, it's a superhero movie, and so sort of by definition, it's sort of one person saving everybody, um, but it's like an ensemble super like it yeah the avengers are less like that yeah it it it's always about them as a team right and how like as when they're apart they're less powerful like that's sort of yeah. the whole thing of civil war and, and right. then all of that um yeah no and that totally makes sense and so yeah like i think i'm generally in support of them you know they're, like anything they're problematic but i think also you know, it is important to defend what people like. I mean, you know, the pop pop culture is a thing to value. Like, it's the thing that is popular with the masses, and so we need to engage with it on some level. You know, obviously the super problematic stuff, like Michael Bay, or, um, <laughs> yeah, where it's like, explosions, patriotism, fuck bitches, you know, it's... <laughs> uh then yeah you know we should be you know should point out the, the flaws in that but when it's not so problematic i think we should you know be less critical of popular culture um because that's what working people are into and we need to understand that even though you know, <laughs> even we, though we have much better taste yeah <laughs> <laughs> no I, I actually don't even think that far like i think there's nothing well, you both said you like the movies i i as a working so... class person enjoy marvel movies yes right there we go but yeah, like, I think there, um, you know, there's been a critique kind of all throughout the socialist movement. Like, you know, Lenin and, you know, Lenin was very into, like, classical music. He was very into, he was very, like, culturally conservative, quote, conservative, right? Like, he was like, I like kind of this high, arty kind of stuff. He also had a bourgeois background. Yeah, which, so it makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know... I think a lot of people that we're trying to reach don't have that sensibility, and we need to understand the, the, and extract the good parts of the media that they 
consume and criticize the parts that are not so good. And that's, I think that's fine. And it's totally regular. And I don't think Marvel is anywhere near the bottom shelf of, <laughs> of that. That is triple X. If you've ever seen any triple X movie, that is some of the worst shit I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, those are the uh, Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel. Oh, I've never man. seen those. Oh, no, no, no. yeah. Consider yourself lucky. I, I once watched it in a theater and it was me, my partner at the time, and two other people way at the back. And it was like, that was all the people in the theater. We were only there to watch the love interest, who was a Bollywood actress. Oh, okay. um, Deepika Padukone, um, who is hot, but that's not enough reason to watch that movie. <laughs> <laughs> there's, I, I, I shit you not, there's a scene that is completely like, un, like it's in the first like 10, 15 minutes of the movie. And Vin Diesel is like needing to go somewhere and he needs to pick up some stuff from a guy. So he goes to this place, then walks into a tent. There's like 15 girls in there. And then the, it's a jump cut to him the next morning putting on his jacket. He's like, what I do for my country. <laughs> and all, the, oh and all these girls are just laid out everywhere. Like, you know, he's been banging them all night. And you're just like, well, so this is America. <laughs> oh, Jesus um, and so, and, and, and then he leaves. Like that, other than that, that scene is completely unnecessary. Right. And so you're just like, well... Okay. <laughs> right. So Marvel's not like that. No. I mean, I think Marvel in general has stories, tells stories that are a little more conscious than that, <laughs> you know, and right. and have a collective essence to them rather than like Vin Diesel's got a big dick, you know. Right. I mean, I I would I would posit that it wouldn't be the end of the world if uh, Marvel movies were rated R and had sex scenes. But that's, I mean, yeah. that's Deadpool, though, right? I've never seen Deadpool. Ooh, I mean, yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's is, like... is Deadpool DC or Marvel? Marvel. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Fox just got bought by Disney, so now there's one unified Marvel universe. Oh wait, so are they going to try to integrate them? Uh, remains to be seen, but they're under one organization. Now. I mean, they could just take all the DC stuff and just like flush it down a toilet, and we'd be fine. <laughs> <laughs> well the DC's con I don't know who DC's I think it's Warner Brothers controls DC stuff okay. um, but Fox movies got bought by Disney and so uh, they, they've it there used were Marvel to... movies that were in Fox like some characters weren't part of the Disney Marvel thing oh okay so you're okay I, like X-Men right X-Men Deadpool and yeah anything like in the X-Men universe Right. Okay. So there, there were parts of Marvel comics that had been made into movies, but were not integrated into the quote Marvel Cinematic Universe. Correct. Yes. But are now going to be. Uh, yes, that is the plan. Although I, I think it'll be really funny if you see Deadpool hanging out with like <laughs> Captain America or some shit. Like, no, like that would be, that'd be pretty funny. I, I, I would I, fucking I want love to that. Just make fun of all the. Oh yeah. Oh man. I mean, that's what they do anyway. Yeah. No, but like. Deadpool. You need to see Deadpool. Okay. I think is basically the fine, fine. I've I've been watched here. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So I haven't seen very much um, in by way of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, so I'm basing my judgments uh, mostly on uh, Jacob's description and <laughs> justification here. That's always a bad idea. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so I, I'm pretty much persuaded by Jacob's case. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. Um, but I want to just add a couple of things um, to the conversation. First of all, all media is ideological, and there's, but not all media is consumed. I mean, most media isn't consumed for 
ideological reasons, um, specifically movie mass-produced movies and uh, and whatnot are not. They, as um, as has been already put forward, most people are just going to for entertainment and they consume it passively. But I do think there is a as has also been stated, there is a spectrum. Um, and it's not it like uh, in terms of the politics and the ideolo- ideology being put forward, there are clearly some pieces that are pretty terrible. Uh, I was um, I overheard a conversation at work where my coworkers were having a conversation about guns and then being uh, related, which I didn't have a problem with. Um, that was kind of interesting. Uh, and then talking about how they were related to people who were in the Navy SEALs and how cool the Navy SEALs were. And then talking about movies about Navy SEALs that were awesome, like American Sniper and how that guy was really cool. And it was just getting increasingly more uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and so those kinds of movies, yeah, they're, that's not great Like for people to be looking to those things as... as um, those are politically bad. And so I think it's pretty cool that there's some mainstream entertaining media that people consume passively that presents something that is has aspects of it that are politically like non-terrible. Non-terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um and so yeah, on like that. Like it's not Ken Loach, but it's not terrible. Yeah. And and then I also just wanted to say that um we also all consume really lowbrow shit, so we don't want to say like <laughs> we have this great high highfalutin oh, taste yeah, and like oh, yeah. and the working cl- the working class has bad taste. No, it's like <laughs> there we consume terrible shit too. Like and like recall the YouTube conversation. Yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> it's the hydraulic press channel. <laughs> so yes, I would I would extend critical support to the Marvel. Oh, that's cinematic universe. Agreed. Okay, so there's right. there's general agreement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I was hoping people would present like counter arguments. <laughs> I feel like everyone sort of agrees, and I, I'm not entirely convinced by my own arguments. But yeah, barring a stronger counter argument, I I feel like you could, if you took a closer look at specifically like the Captain America series or like Agents of Shield or whatever, you could probably come up with ways in which it is more deeply reactionary. I haven't done that, and clearly none of you who all have like actual things to do with your time and energy <laughs> haven't either. Yeah, I think um, Agents of Shield might be more in that. Like anything. I that watched the first with... season and then haven't since then. Yeah, anything that has to do with like Shield as like very clear parallel to you know other security it's the CIA, agencies. Basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, the whole thing where they're infiltrated by Hydra makes them sympathetic, but like when you really think about it, like is Nick Fury a good guy? I don't know. Like he's. He puts all the Avengers together, but he's also like this man in the shadow kind of thing. It's right. It's all yeah. kind of dodgy, um, and that aspect of it is less good. But I, I don't think the Avengers see themselves as like agents of Shield. They almost explicitly don't. No, yeah. There, there's a there's always a conflict. Shield is always Shield is always ambiguous. Yeah. Like the infiltration by Hydra being like the most the part where that comes out the most, but it, it's always sort of under the surface of like this government organization is at least a little bit oppressive a good portion of the time. Right. Um, but anyways, yeah. So, sure, critical support for Marvel Cinematic Universe. Feel free to watch all the movies if you want to, or if you don't, that's fine, too. But you have to sign up for Disney+. Plus. 
That is the new thing. Oh, really? Yeah, Disney oh. just well, put all that shit on lock. Oh, right. So they're they're not going to be on Netflix anymore. Nope. Okay. Pretty soon yeah. here. It's well, if you're be. a weirdo like us and you have uh, a DVD, <laughs> you get DVDs <laughs> yeah. from Netflix. DVDs. Or fun. you can uh, hit up a uTorrent, Pirate <laughs> Bay. You know, bring that back because now there's like ten trillion streaming services. So. Right. How many? There's what four or five big ones now. Big ones. There's there's Hulu, Netflix. HBO, Netflix, Disney Plus, Amazon, Prime. Amazon Prime. Those are the big ones. Yeah, but I mean like all these like YouTube has a premium thing too, but that's CBS All Access. Ooh, right. Showtime. Like, show, yeah, I mean yeah. Like, so there's there's stars. at least five. <laughs> yeah, so there, there's at least five major ones now. Versus, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that that there was one. It was basically Netflix. Well, okay, there was always HBO, and then... Well, HBO was... wasn't online. I mean, it was a channel. But it was always separate. Like, you, like HBO stuff was not on Netflix. Like, yeah, you, still you not, never... But yeah. yeah, but what, what, what I'm saying is it was always independent versus the other stuff has been basically pulled off of Netflix after being on Netflix for a while. Right. Well, anyways, this is a whole different conversation. Yeah. So, critical anyways. support for Marvel. Wow. Cool. Come yeah, on. well, we've fallen so far. We're such sellouts. <laughs> yeah, they're definitely. Well, we should we should threaten to not release this until they pay us. <laughs> yeah, enjoy your pop culture, but do keep an eye on it. Well, we critical support. Yeah, remember yeah. that yeah. we critical yeah. support. The critical is is the key word there. Yeah, I I, I believe that was an appropriately caveated take. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> Very well. Okay. I mean, I'm sure we can make something. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, uh, critical support for workers' cooperatives. Oh. Okay. That is interesting. No, I think we can talk. I think there's some good stuff there. My my initial thought, I'm kind of, I I have issues with, with, with people who think that workers, building workers' cooperatives is a strategy to change society. But I mean, like, I think workers' cooperatives are great. And I would rather work in a cooperative than work for a boss, you know, in also general. Depends, also like, depends on how the cooperative is run, though. Well, yeah, yeah. sure. I mean, obviously... REI is a workers' cooperative. No, no, it's a members. No. It's a, oh, you're it's right. A consumer yeah, consumer yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a consumer oh, Okay, never right. mind. That, yeah. It, that's that's different a different thing. thing. I mean, yeah, obviously, like any group of humans, it can be extremely toxic and shitty and <laughs> petty and whatever. And so, yeah, what? it, could, it could... What? Yeah, I know, right? Who would have guessed? Yeah, so it can suck, but it's not like... I don't think workers' cooperatives have, like, a higher rate of toxicity than any other workplace. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Not. Like, I don't know. I, I think I think worker co-ops are great, and I think it's... If you want to purchase or shop at a workers' co-op, I think that's fantastic, and you should do it. But it's not... 
I, I, yeah, I don't know how we would frame this in the question, but it's, I, I, you know, I don't think it's, it's a strategy for, it's not a strategy for changing society. It's a strategy for improving a small group of people's individual circumstances, you know? Right. So, so it's like, if you understand how capitalism operates, you and your coworkers can form a workers cooperative and improve your lot under capitalism. Like you, you will be in a less shitty alienated position, theoretically, depending on how your co-op is run. But it's not like we could scale up workers' cooperatives in order to run a whole society on them. Like ultimately, they still compete on the market. They still it, it forces you to self-exploit in the same way that being a small business owner does, even if you're a small business owner with no employees. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and you know, there's large, there's quite large cooperatives that exist. I remember some Winco. Guardian article. Oh, Winco's huge. Winco's great. Um, but there's some huge like tire manufacturing company in like. Spain, that's a oh, Mondragon. Yeah, don't they make they make more than tires? Yeah, right. But that's sort of their headline thing. It's like Michelin, mm, okay. like they make tires, but they make other shit too. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I think the most, um, you know, one one historical example of co-ops being sort of politically dicey or politically in the middle is uh, right after the Seattle General Strike. Actually, uh, right after the General Strike, there was a huge, you know, people had the experience of what it's like for workers to run industry, right? And so there was a big, there was a lot of enthusiasm around, like, what if we had co-ops, right? Like, so a ton of, like, print shops and other small business, you know, basically small businesses, but workers came together to form these co-ops. They were like, yeah, this is what we learned on the strike, right? This is the same thing, uh, which sort of, you know, is quite in line with what the Seattle General Strike and sort of its political shortcomings were. Um, but, yes, uh, you know, it's, it's, it shows that a co-op is neither productive nor necessarily inhibitive to class struggle. Um, it's just a different formation under capitalism. Um, but, yeah, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with them. Um, I think they're only wrong insofar as they promote illusions, but I wouldn't say that anyone has illusions in co-ops nowadays other than, like, what, Richard Wolff maybe? Like. <laughs> There's I mean, a strain of that. Yeah, yeah, it's not like just him. Yeah, it's, right. It's a it it is a an actual strain. Yeah, you're like um, is it base builder sort of tendencies? You know, people who think that kind of thing or um, mm, no, I think there's a no, they're they're not into that so much. Mm. Yeah, like have you guys read that Jacobin article about the co-op wars? Co-op wars. Yeah. Hey, Teresa was talking. Teresa was oh, talking. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, my impression, it's like, yeah, Richard Wolff is the famous, like, exponent of it, but there's a whole, like, like a whole media network and there's a whole academic network sort of in that strain. It's a part of the discourse, but maybe Jacob has a more specific Sorry, example. who is this person? Richard he, Wolff. What, what does Richard Wolff do? He's I've a Marxist economist that teaches uh, uh, probably... Cooney? She's at the New School. In New the York New City. School, yeah. yeah. He's but got he's, like the thickest New York also, accent. Also, oh, okay. maybe um, UMass Amherst as well, oh, okay. because that's where a lot of Marxist economists end up. But anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, he's a Marxist economist, famous, does this thing called the Economic Update on YouTube and podcasting, and, and he's has this network called Democracy at Work, which puts out um, another, at least one other podcast that uh, David Harvey does. Um, so yeah, huh. but what were you referencing? Oh, um, the podcast, not the podcast wars, the, <laughs> <laughs> the podcast wars are what are, we are going to kick off pretty soon <laughs> in our, in our, in our, in, a, in our fight for dominance in the 
uh, leftist media space. But um, yes, the co-op wars. I don't know much about it besides what I read in that one Jacobin article from like, I don't know, three or four issues ago now. But it was in, I want to say it was in California. It was like food co-ops, like grocery store co-ops that a bunch of like, I don't know. Crunchy people. Yeah, a bunch of like real hippies were running. And then some like, Maoists decided they need to like take over the co-op. Oh, that's why that co-op closed in Berkeley. I loved that co-op. Oh, I think this was well before you were living in Berkeley. Oh, okay. Yeah, like I, I think this was like in the sixties, maybe the early seventies. I, I could be wrong. Maybe whatever. But it was like this like long-term thing of like these Maoists would, like storm the co-op and like take stuff and like throw people out and it was it was it was like an actual conflict wow. and meanwhile the hippies didn't want to like i think they ended up calling the cops basically but didn't want to because they weren't on good terms with the cops either but yeah it's it's a really interesting story about uh the worst kind of intra-left struggle <laughs> well i mean we're we're getting something pretty similar in um with the whole red guards thing but sorry you huh? red guards what yeah i mean we've yeah the whole like red guards austin a couple other cities oh yeah, where they they'll, they'll they'll like straight up attack DSA meetings now. Well, okay, if I could bring it back to co-ops here, right? Um, I think on the flip side of people having <coughs> their whole worldview and strategy for change based around co-ops, is it also? I mean, for people who aren't like that, for regular people who aren't leftists at all, it's an easy sort of thing to point to as like an example of of how you know one way in which a better society can exist it's a really like yeah. coherent thing in our real world that you can point to and say like hey here's a here's a great cool thing and you can see what that looks like like how how would what do you mean there's no you know no owner of the company no manager what does that you know yeah what does that look like and co-ops are, are a, a concrete thing that exists that helps illustrate socialist ideas Right. Like, I think the, the big problem with co-ops is, like, they're often not politicized in class struggle. They're sort of seen as this sort of, like, we can build it and they will come kind of thing. And, you know, we can... It's always trying to be some sort of clever trick around confronting the boss, right? Like, right. oh, well, I'll compete them. It's like, no, that's not how that works. Uh, you know, we'll show people they're better. No, people aren't moral in that way. You know, it's like... You, you you need class struggle politics. A class struggle co-op would be bitching. I would fucking <laughs> shop the fuck out of that. Um, I would go there every day, almost as often as Teresa goes to class Trader Joe's. Um, uh, the, the, the co-op grocery store would be class class struggle Sam's <laughs> versus class Trader Joe's. Class struggle Sam's. <laughs> We just need to take over Sam's Club first. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, okay, so, you know, I, I, I lived in Olympia for a little while, and there's there's actually kind of a little, there's there's an abundance of, well, not an abundance, there's 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 more co-ops per capita in Olympia than other places. <laughs> and, like, and, like you know, there is. yeah, right. And so, you know, the co-ops, like, I want to say that they were, like, leading the revolutionary front, but, like, they were great. You know, like, the co-ops, because they weren't run by some, person who was obsessed with making money it was like oh yeah we'll have this little free concert here or yeah you can use this as your meeting space like you know mm -hmm. it was just it was like much more accommodating to you know the needs of uh, community the needs of regular people right because they're they it is run by regular people and so it's not you know it's it's not just about extracting the maximum amount of profit so i don't think i could not critically support co-ops i mean it's like to me it's like 
Workers' co-ops. Again, particular. critical. Critical. Yeah. Right. Workers' co-ops. Yes, yes. Consumer co-ops, that's a whole different that's a whole yeah. different story, right? But Right. Yes, I, I don't I don't see any compelling reason to <coughs> God, it's so annoying. Critical support um, for the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God I swear damn. to God, if you have the coronavirus, uh, I you're off the podcast. I got, I got like this, this flu or cold or whatever it is set in before the coronavirus was like a news story. So if if I got it, I got it like before. Fresh. Yeah, I was probably one of. If I got it, I was one of the first people in Washington to get it, which is, seems about, unlikely. Think about this: if he did get it, we've all been exposed to it. So now, and we haven't gotten sick. So unless we get sick, then we're all inoculated yeah. to it. So we have to stay in the podcast studio so we don't <laughs> spread the disease around. Us. I no. think I should just not have to go to work mm. until yeah. I have no more symptoms. Yeah. There to avoid go. infecting anyone. And I Well, yeah. if you worked in a workers' co-op, that might be possible. Yeah. Well, I mean I could use up all my PTO, but I don't want to use up all my PTO. No, you should yeah. You shouldn't but have to do that. Anyhow, what was I saying? I was saying something. Um, um, yeah, I don't. I don't see any compelling reason to not extend critical support to workers' co-ops. Yeah, all right. Let's critically cool. support workers' co-ops. Yeah, critical support for workers' co-ops. <laughs> yep. Dear listener, go out and uh, get your wholesale goods at. Um... What are workers' co-ops? They're not co-ops wholesale. In... Oh no! I, oh, I don't. No bulk goods. Bulk, uh, bulk, bulk, bulk goods. I don't. Yeah. What? Are, I don't. What? I'm trying to think of a workers' co-op in Seattle off the top of my head. Um, oh, I don't... Left, left Bank Books Central Co-op. No, consumer. that's consumer. That's consumer. Okay. Is PCC also consumer? Yes. Okay. Um, and Ballard Market. Winco? Winco. But that's, Winco's is that in there's Seattle? Not, yeah, there's not there's anything. There's one up in Edmonds. But in the yeah. Metro. yeah, yeah. There's, but definitely there's, they're out in the suburbs. And Winco's the fucking best. Yeah. Also, they're cheap as fuck, too. Yeah. Like, it's like it's like Costco prices are better. Yeah. And You don't have to yeah. buy it in enormous quantities like in Costco. But you can if you want to. Yes. Right. It's amazing. <laughs> Uh, you I don't have to buy stuff. 16 containers. I would of soy probably milk. never leave that store. It's gigantic, though. I don't think it would give you the. It seemed. Well... I would just spend more time in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you would just never leave. Then. We should go on a field trip. Too. There's got to yeah. be some, are, there's gotta be some yeah. more co ops in, in Seattle. I mean, there probably are. We just don't know about yeah, them. They, yeah, they're, they're probably small. small you know? And And. Beyond grocery stores, there's lots of different types of... Any business like, could be. Yeah. In Berkeley, there were a number of them. There was one... The cheese board, so good. Um, and then a there, cheese co-op? I mean, they did cheese and bread and pizza and... Which is like the ultimate cheese and bread. Right. <laughs> cheese and bread, uh, pizza, otherwise cheese and bread combined. And then, yeah, there were a bread number sticks. of them. Um, in There are still a number of them in Berkeley, and there used to be more. There used to be like this amazing co-op, uh, workers co-op in my neighborhood. Okay, so, Preston, right. have you come up with a suitable topic that we can discuss in good conscience? Yes. Critical support for first-past-the-post voting systems. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, you're going to have to explain to us exactly what that means. All right. First-past-the-post is the electoral system that seems most natural when you're in a group. Basically, there's ten of us, we're voting on a place to go, and if, like, four people vote for one thing uh, and no one else, no other thing has four, then we're going to go. It's plurality. Basically, whoever has the highest number of votes wins. Right. You know, in the United States, this has extremely, you know, quote, corrosive effects in that, you know, you have 
people winning, uh, you know, seats uh, with, like, far less than the majority. Not even, like, the electoral college thing, but just, like, you know, it's very hard for third parties to come in because of the spoiler effect and so on and so forth, right? right? Like, you know, the classic, uh, you know, if only Nader hadn't run in Florida kind of thing. Right. So what, what, is, what is the post, and what does it mean for somebody first past it? Uh, I think the post is sort of like just you're the person who is highest. The post, I don't know well, what. Well, it's, the... it's winner, it's winner take all, <coughs> and there's no, there's no like secondary. <coughs> it's just like it's plurality voting. Whoever gets the single highest total of votes wins, even if it's not a majority. Okay. Well, so and like I think a staple of first past the post is you give one choice that's not like ranked. Right. You know, it's not right. ranked. And then you also, it's not like... Uh, it's not no, representative. It, it's uh, not like, representative. So it's like you're voting for a single seat and individuals run for that seat and you vote for them or a different individual. It, as Whereas, opposed to a parliament, parliamentary system. Yes, right. As opposed to like there's a number of seats and everyone votes for a party and then each party gets representatives in proportion to... Yeah. their votes. Right. That's proportional representation, but not all parliaments work that way. Okay. The New Zealand parliament works that way. The British parliament uh, is does not. The post. They are first past the post. Individuals run for seats in individual districts right. across the country. But it's that's... still the party determining who runs in each seat. Uh, yes, the yes, party but will that, tell that's you. Still for, that's the first past the post system. Yeah, yeah. If you got 49% of the vote, you get nothing, right? If you, like if Assuming someone... there's only two parties. Yes, yeah, right. so, so like uh, the problem with that, of course... The problem with first past the post voting is that someone gets 51% and someone gets 49%, which means that 49% of people are going to be pissed off because they get nothing, right? Whereas the 51% who voted are like, cool, our person won, right? And so there's like nothing at all for the loser because only the first place person wins. Right. Is that, is that yes. right? That's so, more or less what first past the post is. But I'm arguing we should critically support first past the post. Ooh. And Why? I think we should do this because, you know, I was, you know, it's very easy to, to, you know, egg on first past the post is like, oh, it's undemocratic. It doesn't take into account the minority of people who don't win the vote or even the majority of people who don't win the vote uh, and so on and so forth. But when you look at alternative systems of voting and you're like, OK, well, uh, you know, like like um so proportional example, or rank choice rank or... choice or i think well particularly let's just let's just say rank choice as an okay. example so it's like all right i'm gonna uh rank my choices you know xyz you know or one two three four whatever the problem with rank choice is that uh, it, it really depends on how the votes are processed like if it's so there's also this big thing where it's like so one voting reform that a lot of liberal reformers in the United States like to point to is instant runoff voting. So we're going to rank everybody one through eight or whatever, uh, and then everyone gets their first choice vote. If no one has a majority, then the person with the lowest number of votes, everyone gets reallocated to the second choice, and you, you continue until someone has a majority. Yeah. Uh, the problem with that is that uh, the order really matters. Like, the order matters a lot, and yeah. depending on what order the, all the people put in, someone totally different could win. So that seems less good. So there's other systems where the ranking, um, you know, you can basically decide, like, uh, so there's what's called uh, approval voting. So basically, you vote for everyone you think is fine, and the person who most people think is fine wins so basically you would get a ballot you can vote for multiple people you basically add it all up and whoever has the most yeses gets to go oh, okay. through 
So in that system, you can vote for as many people as you want. Right. And there's not it's not a ranked vote. All the votes are equal. Right. Whoa. That's and then there's and then there's variations on that where you can like change your level of support. So you can say like I'm gonna give this person a nine, this person a four, this person a two. Right. And they add them all up or whatever. And they add it all up. Number. Whoever has the highest score wins. Right. Have, have they considered that you just like you all go to the place? to vote and you just like put the people in line in the order that you want them and you just cycle through and do that <laughs> like i mean how much more fucking convoluted can we make yeah, right, right no but see like all you know there's so much math you can point to there's so much of all this that you point to right but like i, I think there's two problems that that come up one is that what do you do about people that you think are okay but like are not you're not sure about so let's take an example you know let's say we're doing the you know, the Bush coordinator thing, right? And we're voting in Florida and you're a Nader voter and you like really want Nader to win. And let's just pretend like Nader had a chance. Like he actually could have won Florida or something, right? So like, would you, you're stuck in this weird bind. Like you would vote for Nader for sure, but would you vote for Gore or not? He Basically, you don't like Bush. You basically would vote against him if possible. But like, are you going to vote for Gore and hurt Nader well, because basically voting for Gore hurts Nader and Bush. Oh, so and you mean like in a ranked choice or, or, or multiple or, or vote multiple kind of vote. thing? Right. By casting a vote for someone else, you're also kind of hurting your person. Right. And see, so that's sort of the dilemma in all these sort of more sophisticated voting systems is that like, you might really fucking want someone to win. And by ensuring that someone else loses, you hurt your candidate's chance of winning. Right. I mean, of course, in that case, there was no chance that Nader was going to win sure. Florida. I mean, if he had, it wouldn't have mattered because he didn't have to win any, hadn't won any other states. Sure, right. Um, but, you know, maybe a more realistic example, like, you know, when socialists run for office, we're often very polarizing, right? We're very, you know, we're out there, we're staking a position, we're saying, you know, this is the thing, uh, you know, people should vote for us, and, you know, even if you don't necessarily agree with us on everything, like, you should critically vote for us. But in a, in a system where it's sort of squishier and there's multiple candidates, like, you know, would we be as successful at polarizing politics like we need to as in working class struggle in a system that basically is sort of squishy and doesn't right, is actually yeah. against polarization so the advantage of first past the post is essentially it's polarized it basically you know brings a you know depending on the system right i, I don't think the uk system where they run everybody at once and whoever wins the most wins but like here in washington state you run a primary, the top two go on, and then the top two sort of duke it out for being less bad. But, you know, it's the same as the French presidential system. But I think, you know, that polarization is a, is very important to socialist mm -hmm. politics and I think should not be, you know, underappreciated. Yeah. Uh, you know, the top two primary has virtues. It, you know, it, it allows you to call people who don't have a plurality of support uh, before going into a final election where you polarize and decide, like, you're probably more voting against the other guy, but that's okay because that's kind of our goal. We're, we're voting against the ruling class, right? Um, and, you know, also for a strong working class platform. So that's sort of my argument is that first past the post is polarizing, uh, especially when done in a two-stage process like, you know, we do here in Washington State. And that's why we should critically support it, you know, but critical because, you know, it also has problems. I think that a lot of the benefits that people point to with specifically with ranked choice voting it, that's kind of the go-to alternative in the united states uh, i don't think most people in the united states realize that elections are run very differently in other countries um, but like people point to ranked choice voting as it'll be this this great thing for third parties it'll mm -hmm. eliminate the spoiler effect and whatnot i don't think we have a lot of evidence that that has really been the case 
it's kind of on the level of like New York's fusion ballots where the effect is really ambiguous. It's like there are cases where it seems to have helped. There's cases where it hasn't. I can think of globally like really not first past the post systems that it allowed like relatively lesser known, uh, more radical socialist candidates to get through simultaneously. It has blocked them in other places. So like it, I don't think we should make, I, I don't think there's a, a consistent way to make this judgment based on how it will help us, how it will help political groupings that we are a part of win in the way that I think a lot of people judge uh, ranked choice of voting. And so, but that's not what you're saying, actually. You're, you're drawing a specific thing that it uh, first, past, first past the post uh, polarizes politics, and we should just sort of accept that as like, that's basically what we're doing anyways. Uh, sometimes it sucks, but ultimately other other systems have more drawbacks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I really like a sort of purely proportional parliamentary system myself, mostly because I really hate the um, uh, the way the American system doesn't use parties and the way it's it, hyper individualized. It's hyper individualized. Parties don't really mean anything. They don't, or they they very much don't mean what they mean in other countries. Mm. Um, and I, I and it forces people to think about like the individual attributes of these people in a way that I think is very very unhelpful. And I I I think that a proportional parliamentary system does eliminate the spoiler effect because you know if if the one group like if no group has an absolute majority you have a minority government if all the other groups are opposed to them they won't be able to govern and it and it's like even the the largest party in parliament can actually not be the ruling party if the others like you can vote for a sort of radical socialist candidate or a, a radical socialist party in that system you know knowing that uh that party could still help that vote can still help block some horrible reactionary party from coming mm-hmm. to power. Um, so it, 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 it allows people to be pragmatic and still help to build for the actual politics that they support. Right. And maybe the, the really, the really, the, the basic thing that I always think of is in all these countries that have proportional representative systems, there are some socialists and communists in office mm-hmm. in America. There are none. I mean, just in the last two years, we have, some who've really, I mean, just had to fight like hell to get there. But in, in all these other countries, they're like, yeah, they're not, their working class isn't rising up, but they have some representation in the government. And I, to me, that just seems like, I don't know. I mean, I guess I wonder, like, to me, that seems like a pretty clear example of, of why first past the voting sucks. Why first past the post voting, why it sucks is because they have some socialists and we have very few <laughs> have none in office, in, in, you know, in like our congressional. Do you mean in, in Washington? Uh, in, in Washington, Washington D.C. Con- I just mean in, in, in the American, like in, in Congress, in Washington, D.C., in the Senate. There's, there's like in America as a whole, there are so few socialists in office. Mm-hmm. And even less if you only count people who are in like a socialist party. There's like very mm-hmm. few in the entire country. In most countries... Right. that have a parliament, there's like a couple people in parliament. Mm-hmm. Now imagine if we had like three members of Congress who were members of a socialist party. Like that would be, that's like breaks people's brains. That's like so foreign to what we're used to 
in America's. I, I don't know. I'm just... Right. But I think that's that's also sort of... I, I would struggle to say that those countries have more advanced socialist consciousness than the United States does. It's yeah, just the, it's just the true. nature of how the quantity is being... You know, the, the quantity of, you know, socialist consciousness is being translated to the quality of representation, right? It, exactly. Just, I'm saying that's why they're, they have a, a better system because it's not first past the post. Sure, but like... I don't think that's an argument at all about, or that's not a very strong argument about, um, you know, the uh, amount of consciousness that enables, right? Like, the socialist ministers who might get elected over there might suck. Like, they might just be, like, some guys who, you know, kind of nominally are socialist but don't really fight for anything. They just sort of have this banner words like if someone you know in the united states just because the bar is so high like if a socialist gets elected usually they've at least have established they have a good ground game they establish that people politically understand what is going on in their district i mean aoc you know punching out crowley like that took real organizing that that was not like she just sort of walked in and won a primary like that was her like she actually people had to coalesce around that people had to fight for that what i'm saying is it's not just having socialist ministers is not checking the box, yeah, that's good. It's like it's all about how strong they are and how strong they fight. And, you know, the fact that the president of the United States has addressed socialism in a state of the union shows how <laughs> strong socialism is becoming in the United States. And that's without elected officials. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to elect them, but I'm saying that the first past the post system might actually be helpful if the critical mass can be reached. So... Yeah, I, I just want to, we keep saying no socialists have been uh, elected and, and then like caveating that with no socialists who are in a party. So I just want to like make a clear distinction here. Like obviously people like AOC and Bernie Sanders call themselves socialists. They call themselves specifically democratic socialists. Um, so that's a little bit different than what we're thinking of when we say a socialist in, in a socialist party. But I don't want to just like loosely conflate this and be unclear about what we're talking about here but secondly i think we need to sort of like disaggregate between are we talking about critical support for first past the post on the basis of it is politically polarizing and in the u.s context we're starting to be able to see how to make it work as socialists are becoming increasingly successful socialists social democrats whatever uh, are becoming increasingly successful by po politically polarizing um, this system, this first past the post system? Or are we saying no critical support for it because it's not as good as parliamentary representation? Or what are we, what are we de mm. actually debating here? Because I would say I agree that proportional parliamentary systems seem, seem like they would be ideal, in, or not ideal, but preferable because you could still politicize polarize and politicize them i would i would gather but but that's not that's not what the u.s system has and then one last like distinction like we were talking about should we be arguing for we should have a proportional parliamentary system here as a counter argument to people who are putting forward um ranked choice or something well, I just want to say first, uh, yes, there are socialists elected in the U.S. I was exaggerating. There's Shama Sawan, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders. You can, whatever, you can debate. Like, I wasn't trying to say that there aren't socialists. I'm just saying, compared to many countries around the world, we have basically no socialists in office. We only have a few coming up in the past few years, whereas many countries around the world have had socialists in office 
all over the place in their parliaments for many, many years. That, that was what I was trying to make. I was, I, was, I, was, I was saying there's no socialist to make a point. Not that there's, there te yes, there are socialists elected in America, but just compared to many countries, we have comparatively few. Right. So this is the point I was trying to make. So I just, I just want to clear that up. Thank you, for, thank you for, for bringing that up. But I think there actually are two pretty important points to make there, just in terms of one is that uh, in the United States, there are not any socialists in government. There, there are not any socialists... You mean in the national... In that have... Uh, socialists do not have a majority in any legislature oh. on, on any level, in any part of the country. There is no city, there is no state, there is no anything the in which socialists district. have a majority. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. So there, there are so there are there are individual socialists, either as members of the, of the Democratic Party, members of different parties, independents, whatever, who have been elected, but they are uniformly minorities, usually of one within larger bodies, and and that's different from around the world, where uh, like in. Uh, India, the Communist Party, has been the government of the state of Kerala for the greater part of the last like half century. Um, and there's you know places in Europe where they you know they run there might be city council yeah you you might have a, a socialist party majority city council Red or, Vienna you know. Red, you know whatever. Um, the other thing to say is that the a lot of these socialist and communist parties around the world uh, don't look that much different from our democratic party in terms of their actual politics. And so we shouldn't just take that term and say like like these socialist. Party is has been the government of Spain for the last what year and a half now? Two, two years. years, something like that. <laughs> That's true. And it's like well, Damos is hanging out with them, but yeah. Yeah, and it's like um, that party is. Uh, I mean, yeah, to the left of the Democrats in the United States, probably, but probably to the right even of like uh, the Corbyn Labor Party. Oh, for sure. The like the the Corbyn wing of the Labor Party. Um, so we shouldn't like just take that word and. Assume that it is the same everywhere. Bandy it about. Right. No, no, no one, like, to say you are, when you run as a socialist in the United States, it says something different about you than when you run as a socialist in Spain. Yeah, it's, it's a qualitatively different thing. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's another argument that I've heard, uh, not necessarily in favor of first past the post, but pointing out where it would be helpful for struggle uh, when Tony Benn was leading the Labor Party. Uh, and there was a real chance that he could have been elected prime minister, but only on the basis of labor winning seats through first past the post, arguably in a minority in many different writings, as you will. And so it's one of those things where, like, well, Tony Benn being the prime minister is obviously good. And when, who is this? What oh, time sorry, Tony Benn is sort of like think of him as like the Jeremy Corbyn of like earlier Labour Party, like sort of in the mid what, when was like this mid twentieth century? Uh, I want to say sixties. I think okay. I think it was well after, wasn't it? Like seventies or so? Yeah, before Thatcher. Yeah, yeah, and so there was this opening where Tony Benn. Think of it. You can think of him as a, as a Corbyn equivalent. Obviously, there's much more history there. I think he's to the left of Corbyn, actually. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably very much so. I mean, because Corbyn, you know, is coming after Blair, right? So it's right. going to be less to the left. But yeah, um, you know, when Corbyn was elected, he was termed a Benite before Corbynism became a thing. Like that's how influential Tony Benn was. But yeah, you know, he was the leader of the Labour Party. There was a real possibility that he was going to be elected prime minister on the basis of a first-past-the-post system. And it was because taking advantage of the fact that you can win a seat with a minority of votes. Um, but he didn't. He didn't, but... Despite the fact that they have a first-past-the-post system. E yes. So you're but saying that if they had a different system, that would not have even been a possibility. E probably. Okay. Right. Huh. So it was first-past-the-post left the door open to it, whereas if they... Because that's the thing. Like, all these other systems are... I mean, not the proportional system necessarily, but... Anything that's like ranked choice voting or approval voting or 
score voting, which is the one where you give each everyone points, is like they tend toward the middle, right? Because right. you don't know what to do about the middle candidate. Like I said, like if you know you gave gave me a ballot of like, you know, Corbin, uh, John, Boris Johnson, and then like anybody else, I'm like, well, Corbin gets the most points, Boris gets zero. What do I do about these people in the middle? And how do I feel about that? And like, is it am I more worried about being safe against Boris, so I give them like a seven, or am I more concerned about electing Corbin, and so I give them like a three? And that's a hard choice that doesn't polarize politics in the way that we need to. Right. So it's like first-past-the-post systems allow for minority rule, which sucks when it's someone else, but might be cool if it was us. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> or, or even like a top-two system like we have, where it's like, you know, you end up with a polarized politics. You ended up, you know, you saw Shama Swan versus empty Amazon puppet, right? And... And that's what it was because those were the top two trends, and that's that's reality. That actually reflected reality better than if it was someone else uh, going up, uh, you know, going through. Right. Um, and that's what you want, right? You want your elections to reflect the material conditions of society, and and you know, when you have this ranked system, it doesn't really do that. It it gives yeah. the illusion that there's a gradient between, you know, working class politics and you know, bootlicking when like. I mean, there sort of is. There, there is a gradient, but, like, it's not nearly that nice, you know. On the other hand, okay, so, yeah, we've we've had some successes. On the other hand, throughout most, most of the time, it usually does go to the candidate with more money. <laughs> <laughs> but that's true regardless of anything. Mm, yeah, probably. I mean, okay, money... but then it, if you had a proportional system, you would still get something. Mm -hmm. Whereas... In a first-past-the-post system, when you have less money and you lose, you get nothing. Right. So in a, I mean, we're not going to do this, but it would be very interesting to, to like group the candidates that ran for Seattle City Council into parties, and then say <laughs> what would have happened in a proportional system. Oh man. Okay. I, I mean, not, we're, we're not going to do that. <laughs> well, I think... but I will definitely do that later. <laughs> that sounds fascinating. He's gonna just stroke that spreadsheet so hard. <laughs> So all the numbers come shooting out. <laughs> He's already got the phlegm shooting out, so so many wads of tissues on the floor. Speaking of that, he has to... Yeah, speaking of which. <coughs> Anyways. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like you've won me over to this at this point mm -hmm. um, because other reasons I'm not going to go into, but uh, yeah, sure. Critical support for first past the post. In the U.S., I would say yes. In the U.S. context right now, as opposed to the alternatives that are being proposed that um like rank choice and whatever the other weird wonky ones are I've, yeah cool uh, yeah i'd say critical support on the basis that i think it's a waste of time to be advocating to change our voting system here or in most places i don't think that's the struggle right. and if it's if it's part of a greater revolutionary strategy yeah absolutely we should probably change it. but but yeah it's not I'm I'm fine with it because I don't think it's it's worth our time to make ranked choice voting, our, like to change the voting system as a slogan. You know, yeah, like, that's not the issue that we're trying to fight. Right. right. Cool. Wow. Right. That cool. was that was fun. Wow. We had well, unanimity on everything. That's weird. Wow. Did we? What? What? Did did we decide in favor of critical support on all of them? Or 
Uh, we were no. against Posad. Yeah, we were against yeah. Posad. Uh, but dear that. listener, go forward and uh, polarize the shit out of your election. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, and stop campaigning for ranked choice voting. Okay, get yes, off please. that shit. Sorry. Yeah, that I mean, was weird. It's, like, it's a noble cause. Respect for you, but I don't know. Maybe, Class struggle maybe, first. Hey, maybe, maybe in 10 years or so, all these uh, cities that are doing it, maybe they'll be socialist paradises. So well, we could be wrong, but right. I think so as... we're, we're, uh, we're just going to conduct a scientific experiment where we, we keep ranked choice voting in Minneapolis and we don't institute it in Seattle. And then at the end of 10 years, we determine whether Seattle or Minneapolis is more socialist. Yes. yes. <laughs> the more socialist council members you have, the more socialist it is. That's just how it works. Yeah. There we go. Um, See, okay. socialism can be scientific. <laughs> Numbers, bitch. <laughs> okay. All right. Yay. I Thank think that's you, it. Everyone. Bye. Have a good one.